Chapter 5, North to Freedom. David thought living in a house was very difficult. It was not the house itself that, that was lovely to be in, but the people. What was so difficult about them was that they constantly seemed to expect him to say and do things he would never have thought of. And what appeared sensible and natural to him seemed to surprise them. Otherwise, being in a house was lovely, quite wonderful. David contemplated the two words with satisfaction, repeating them several times to himself. He had been in the house many days now and was learning all the time. He had learned, for example, to use those two words. They meant that something was good. It was satisfying to know several words for the same thing. For then he could describe exactly to what degree a thing was good. It was just the same with the word beautiful. You could divide it into three. If something were only a little beautiful, it was nice. If it were more beautiful, you would say pretty. And finally, beautiful. Being able to use words properly was a great advantage. For the more wor words you knew the meaning of, the better you could think. And besides, it was important when you were talking to people. They were not so surprised at what you said if you used the right word. The children's mother had laughed when he saw the bathroom and said it was beautiful and good. He should have said lovely, of course. He would always remember the bathroom with its gleaming pale green tub and all that clear, clean water that came when you just turned a faucet. You could have as much hot water as you liked and sit in it right up to your neck. And there was soap, large pieces of it that smelled much better than the cake he had bought himself. It rubbed into a beautiful, soft lather that made you quite, quite clean. And when you had finished, there were large, soft, clean towels to dry yourself on. And there were little sticks to clean your nails with, and you could brush your teeth. David had never tried that before, and the first time he made his mouth sore doing it. But it was wonderful to be so clean. There were books, too, in the house. Not just one, but many. When he had first arrived, the children's father had asked him if there was anything he particularly wanted. David had considered carefully and then said, I think most of all I'd like to read a book to read. He wanted to hear music again, too, but the book was more important. He said it must be a book published before 1917. The children's father had smiled and asked why, but David had not dared to tell him. It was because he wanted to be sure that what was in it was true and not something they had made up. The meals he had in that house delighted him, both because there was so much to eat and it all tasted so good. And even more because the table looked so beautiful with the glasses and the silver and the white cloth and with fine plate for everybody. But people he found difficult. They seemed to have no idea of what was good. The children's mother was quite pleased that he liked the bathroom, but the children themselves hated it. At least the boys did. Perhaps he was wrong, but no matter how hard he tried, he could not help liking it himself. He had nothing against being dirty. You got dirty in the course of the day, and you could not avoid it. 
but to be free to wash the dirt off whenever you wanted to. Yes, that was wonderful. And yet the children did not seem to understand that. And he dared not tell them how disgusting it was when men who had been clean, with clean shiny hair and clean teeth, grew so matted and ingrained with dirt that everything about them smelled repulsive and looked loathsome. But if he told them that, then of course they might discover where he came from. And then they would be obliged to send for them. The children could not understand either why he was so anxious to read books. They always wanted him to go out with them, and so he had to go, though he longed to be left alone to sit and read his books. There was no end of what you could learn from books if you had time enough, and it took a lot of time. He could read more rapidly now, but not really quickly for all that. And he first had to choose his books. If only he could read all of them. But David knew he did not have very much time. He must go on before winter came. And so it was important for him to read books where he would find information that would be useful to him. It was, in fact, the books that had led him to stay. The people, the children especially, made him nervous, and he hated being in the same place with Carlo. The house he could leave, though not without regret. But it was important to go on reading as long as possible so that he could find out the things he wanted to know. And that was why... He had now been there many days. He had learned that he could never become an ordinary boy. The knowledge was painful, but there was no point in deceiving himself. He would like to have learned to be an ordinary boy, to be a boy, to be as a boy should be outside the concentration camp. And yet, the children were so stupid that David did not understand them at all. He did not understand why they did not like bathing. He did not understand why they preferred to live without knowing anything. They did not seem to think it was necessary, as if there were no difference between a donkey and a human being. David was very fond of donkeys. They were, he sought for the right word, nice. Anything you liked, if it was not really beautiful, you called nice. But it was very much better to be a human being, able to learn things and know things. He did not understand either why they did not regard mealtimes as gracious occasions. They would often spill things on the white cloth and sit so restlessly and be so clumsy and awkward with their knives and forks that they soon brought disorder to the beautifully arranged table where they had been sitting. But the most dangerous thing about them was that you could not follow what they were thinking about. They always wanted to be playing. And David had particularly wanted to learn how to play, and he could play a little now. He knew how to play ball. A ball was round and satisfying to hold, and it had colors, good bright colors. He liked throwing it to Andrea and catching it again. Racing with Andrea was good, too, and climbing trees and jumping over a rope higher and higher. He liked that sort of game that made him aware of how well his body would obey him. And the sort where you had to make something turning a few bits of wood into things you could use, all that kind of thing. But the children often wanted to play at being other people. They would pretend one was the grocer and another would come and buy from him, or they would be a mother and father and some other children, 
or they might be pirates. That sort of thing David did not care for. And when they had said he could choose first what he wanted to be, he would always answer that he would be David who would come to watch them play. Once they had wanted to play a game where some of them had to be soldiers and take others prisoner. And I'll be the captain over the soldiers, shouted Carlo, hastily adding, that is if you don't want to be David. David had looked straight at him. I will not play anything wicked and horrible, he had replied. Maria immediately said that if David would not play, she would not either. But Andrea, Andrea said with some irritation, You're a strange person, David. What's wicked about that? David had waited until he was sure his voice would not tremble. I'm not very good at playing, but I can see when you play, you try to imitate what's real. And I won't have anything to do with pretending to take people prisoner. It's horrible and wicked. And no one has any right to take other people prisoner. Everybody has a right to his life and freedom. And anyone who takes them away has lost his own right to be a human being. Yes, but David. Andrea's voice was no longer irritated, only interested. What if there's a murderer? Shouldn't he be put in prison, or a thief, or, or something like that? There's got to be someone to decide who has to go to prison. David frowned. I don't know. Yes, a murderer, he should go to prison to stop him murdering more people. But you mustn't lay hands on him or starve him. I... No, I'm, I'm not quite sure about it. I haven't found all about it yet, but no person has any right over other people. A man must be his own master. Yes, but father and mother have a right over us, Andrea said. No, it, it's not a right. At least, I, I don't think so. It's more of a, a duty. I mean, since they're your parents, they must give you food and clothes and teach you all the things you can't know by yourselves so that you can manage for yourselves when you're grown up. What they do is something good. It's not the sort of thing I mean by right over people. Having right over others is something horrible and shameful. Using force to make them do what you want. At that point, the two little boys began yawning. Aren't we going to play anything? They asked impatiently. David can decide what we're going to play then. David had felt relieved. He had to answer Andrea of course, and try to explain things to him. But Andrea still did not seem to understand what he was driving at. And David was always afraid that if he talked too much, he might be led into saying something he should not. And anyway, he did not care to talk when Carlo was there. The first couple of days, Carlo had tried to wheedle himself into David's good books. But David was only too familiar with that kind of approach. And so Carlo had stopped. David spoke to him politely whenever it was necessary, just as he had always done to them, but Carlo had by now realized that he could not expect any more of him. Nevertheless, it was unpleasant. Carlo was so good at deception that you could hardly credit he was only a boy. He had made a great effort to convince David that he was not bad, and when he had realized that David was not going to let himself be impressed, he, pre he pretended to be hurt by it. David thought what a good thing it was he had seen so much deception in the camp, or he would certainly have been taken in 
just as Andrea and the two little boys and Maria were. They did not know Carlo was bad, and that was why David felt uncomfortable in his presence. The two little boys noticed nothing, but David felt that Andrea and Maria knew he hated Carlo and were sorry that he did so. They said nothing. They were always very kind to him, but that only made matters worse. It would have been better had they been like the two little ones who were too young to notice. David liked the two little boys, though he did not understand them and felt quite sure he had never been so small himself. But they were cute, rather like two little animals tumbling about noisily, never still for a moment. He knew, too, that if he had been a proper, ordinary boy, he would have liked Andrea very much indeed. He was friendly and fair, and when you pointed out that something was beautiful, he could see it was. And he did not ruin things the way Carlo and the two younger ones did. But as it was, it would be dangerous for David to be too friendly with him. He might very likely forget to take care of what he said, and then Andrea would think him odd and begin to ask questions. It was only with Maria that David felt quite at ease. She never left him, and she could always guess when anyone said something to make him uneasy. At such moments she would divert attention from him by saying something herself, or else she would answer for him, so that all he had to do was say, Yes, that's what I meant. And yet he never felt ignorant when he was with her. She wanted to know what he thought about everything, and she never seemed to think him strange. There were many things he could help her with, too, for she was not very strong. And then she was so pretty to look at, and everything about her was so gentle and delicate that you felt you had to take care of her so that she would not come to any harm. When he wanted to listen to music, she would put on the gramophone for him, and she was always ready to go around the house with him and look at its contents and tell him about the things. The things were very old, most of them, two or three, or even four hundred years old, and the children's father and mother had had them from their father and mother, and they in turn had had them from their father and mother, and so right back to the time the things were new. And they had always been there in one place. He could talk for hours with Maria about the people who had lived there long ago, about what they had looked like, what kind of clothes they had worn, and what kind of food they had eaten and what they had thought about. Sometimes, Maria would tell him about going to school, and then David would again be reminded of how different he was, for Maria did not care much about going to school. And David thought it sounded wonderful, more wonderful than anything in the world except sunshine and beauty. To think, that there were people whose only work in life was to teach children the things they did not know, to be able to ask about everything you wanted to know without appearing odd and suspicious. It was quite plain that it was not one of their schools, since he gathered from Maria that the children were not told what they were to think. They learned proper things about history and the countries of the world and they were taught to read quickly and write without making mistakes. David now 
began to wish he had invented a different story about himself. For his tale of a circus always on the move had led the children and their parents to believe he was familiar with many countries. If he had chosen another story, he would have been able to ask them about other countries, where they lay and what they were like. Now he dared not, and it was difficult to find out what he wanted to know from books. If only there had been books about those countries that he could have spotted at once from their titles. Then he could have read all he needed to know. It was now growing chilly of an evening. It was the time of the vine harvest, time for him to hurry on his way. One day David decided to pluck up courage and ask Maria. She had seen a map in school and so she might perhaps remember what he wanted to know. But when it came to the point... His courage failed him. He remembered what it was like when he and the children went to bed. The children kissed their father and mother, and their father and mother kissed them and then patted them on their shoulders and made them laugh and called them my precious and my treasure. The parents were good with the children, and they belonged together, all of them. Hello, this is my granddaughter. She came in to say hi, Opa. That was my favorite interruption, my granddaughter, Athena. They were f a family, and members of a family told one another things. So even if he asked Maria not to tell anyone what he asked her, she might very well forget and tell her mother or father all the same. It was then that he saw the globe. It stood in, it stood in Andrea's room inside a cupboard. David did not know at first what it was. He saw a big ball fastened to a rod. He was curious and asked why it was fastened like that. It's a globe, of course, Andre replied in surprise. It's the world. Look, you can turn it around so that you can see everything. David's heart began to beat with excitement. Andre had the whole world drawn on a sphere and all the countries in it. But there were no boundaries marked on it. You could only see where the mountains and valleys and rivers were. David felt quite sick with disappointment. But Andrea was always ready to talk whenever David wanted to discuss something. There's Italy, he said, pointing to a long strip of land jutting out into the sea. And there's France, added Maria, pointing in her turn. When they saw how interested David was, they continued and pointed to Spain and Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and England. But they went through them so quickly. David wondered if he could possibly remember all they told him and wished he could see how far each country stretched. Can you see Denmark? he asked, praying inwardly as he spoke. God, God of the green pastures and the still waters, don't let it be a big country so that they're surprised they don't know where it is. Amen. It was quite a little patch of land. And David saw it was a long way from Italy. He could never go so far before winter set in, before they found him again. He would have to leave. David lay in his soft, warm bed and knew that he must go the next day or at least within a day or two. The house belonged to the family, and he had no part in it. They were still all very grateful that he had rescued Maria from the fire.
and he was sure they were kind, all except Carlo, that is. But something was sure to happen soon that would make them realize how different he was. The children's mother sometimes looked at him questioningly, and she no longer attempted to caress him. She would touch his hair lightly when they were going to bed, but David knew it was no longer because she wanted to. She did it only out of kindness so that she should not make too much difference between him and her own children. David was not at all clear how he knew this. He just knew it. It was not because he liked anyone to touch him either. He hated it. It made him feel tense inside. And sometimes when he saw the children and their parents touch one another, he felt a stab of pain and remembered Johannes. Perhaps he had been like everybody else to start with. Perhaps it was only when Johannes died that he became different. Johannes used to lay his hand on him, and he had not hated it and shrunk away then. On the contrary, it had given him a warm, comforted feeling. But Johannes could never return, and so perhaps it was all to the good that he now hated being touched if only because there was no one to do it. There was only Maria. David tried not to think about it, but he had to admit the truth of it. Maria sometimes touched him, but he did not hate it. She would take him by the hand when they walked side by side, and her hand was small and soft, not in the least like a boy's. And when Maria held his hand, it was as if they spoke to one another without saying anything as if they were speaking of pleasant things together. Yet it always made him a little uneasy, like something important that had escaped his memory. David turned over in his bed. There was something he had forgotten. What was it? Something about Denmark. Something he had been on the point of remembering the first day he was here. It had something to do with what the man had said about his having to go north till he came to Denmark. Suddenly he knew what it was. Milk. The children's parents were very good to them. They gave them everything they needed and talked a great deal about what would do them good. Every day the children were given milk and things called vitamins. David had been given them too while he had been living in the house. And he had had milk before. Twice a week, for as long as he could remember, on Tuesdays and Fridays, he had had to go across to the man's quarters, and the man had given him something white to drink. It tasted horrible. But the man told him he must drink it, or else he would shoot one of the prisoners. He also threatened to shoot a prisoner if David ever told anyone where he went and what he did. Nothing happened, except that David drank the horrible white stuff. At the time, David had thought it showed how stupid they were, as well as wicked. It did not make him ill. And he did not die either. And you would have thought the man would have realized it was not poisonous enough, yet he went on giving it to David to drink. The milk he was given here did not taste unpleasant, and it was whiter too, but it was the same for all that. 
And the first time David happened to bite one of those pills that were called vitamins and drank his milk right on top of it, it tasted horrible in just the same way it used to in the camp. So the man had given him something that was good for him. Something to make him strong and not always ill and weak and emaciated and listless like the other prisoners. Why? David sat up in bed awake. Why had he forced him to drink something that was good for him? If he had been one, if he had been of some importance as a hostage, then obviously he must not be allowed to die. But in that case, why had he told David to escape? It had all happened as the man had told him. There had been the bundle lying beneath the tree. He had gotten to Salonika, and there had been a ship there. David got up and dressed. He could not sleep. He could not stay inside the house. He must think. But no matter how much he thought, he could not find an answer. He walked quietly downstairs into the garden so that no one should hear him if the children's parents or any of the servants were still up. But although he stared out into the darkness and thought about the man as hard as he could, he still could not make head nor tail of it. The man hated him. David knew all about hate, and if anything were sure, he was sure the man hated him. An important hostage would have to be kept alive. But he must not be allowed to escape, must he? If only he knew more about it. If only he knew something about Denmark. If there were a king in Denmark, then he would have to try to get there. There must be some reason why he was told to escape. For one moment he thought he knew what it was. You could not bribe honest people, but bad people would accept bribery. They took bribes. Being bribed meant doing something you knew was forbidden just to get something for yourself. But who would bribe the man to let David escape? He was just David, a boy who had always been a prisoner. Someone he stood hostage for without knowing it? But who could it be? And if he had been an important hostage, then the man would never have dared to let him escape. In that country, they were all terrified of one another. Perhaps if the bribe were big enough, but if that were the answer, then they would be hunting for him. He would have to be on his guard day and night. It must not be true. David's hands clutched his fast-beating heart. There must be a reason he could not understand. He did not want to be an important hostage, for he could not go on being as frightened as he was. The next morning he would ask the children's father if there were a king in Denmark, and if so, then he would have to take his leave at once. And he would have to travel by car as often as possible, or he would not manage the journey. But it would not do for him to believe he was an important hostage. For if he did, he would not dare ask for a lift or earn money to 
or buy bread or anything. David felt as if the surrounding darkness were entering into him, penetrating deeply into all his thoughts until he was unable to recall one faint gleam of hope. He was aware only of fear, of the need to be constantly on his guard. But he never got as far as asking the children's father if there were a king in Denmark. He decided he would creep back to bed again. But just as he was going past the big living room that opened onto the terrace, the light was switched on and the children's father and mother entered and sat down. David pressed himself against the wall and stood still. When they began talking, he would creep off in the other direction so they would not spot him. Through the slats and the shutters, he saw the children's mother take up her sewing. She put it down again, almost at once, and turning to her husband, said, Giovanni, I think you'll have to do something about David. David moved with infinite care away from the slatted shutters. Sometimes, when you were looking at people, they became aware of it. He leaned against the wall and shut his eyes. Suppose he had fallen asleep and they had surprised him there the next day. What should I do about him, Elsa? Is there something the matter with him? David would never forget what they said. He would remember every word as long as he lived. The matter? Yes, I, I mean, how long do you suppose he should stay here? Have you anything against the lad, my dear? Yes, no. Oh, you must understand. I'm bound to love a child that saved my own child's life but I don't understand him. If it didn't sound so absurd, I'd be inclined to say he frightens me. He's an unusual child, that I grant you, but I can't see what you have against him. I, well, let me put it this way. I'm nothing against David as David, but I do object to him as company for my own children. He must leave here as soon as possible. Can you tell me exactly what it is about him that you object to? I, I don't know who he is. I don't know where he comes from and I don't know where he's going to. I don't believe he's truthful. That story of his about belonging to the circus, it doesn't hang together properly. Giovanni, if he belongs to a circus, there are things he ought to know that he obviously doesn't. And at the same time, the story so carefully worked out as if he were a hardened little liar. With eyes like his, Elsa? Yes, and his eyes frighten me too. They're the eyes of an old man, an old man who's seen so much in life that he no longer cares to go on living. They're not even desperate, just quiet and expectant and very, very lonely, as if he were quite alone of his own free choice. 
Giovanni, a child's eyes don't look like that. There's something wrong there. And his smile? If it weren't so incredible, I'd be tempted to say he looks as if he'd never smiled before he set eyes on Maria. He never smiles at the rest of us. He just looks at us politely with dead earnestness. And when he smiles at Maria, it's, it's very beautiful, Elsa. I've seen it myself. It comes so hesitantly and yet so tenderly. Oh, you make me feel so heartless. But I must put my own children first and think of their welfare. And there's something wrong with a child who smiles like that. Where did he come from? You can tell he has no near relatives. But he makes it quite clear he doesn't like us to question him. He answers politely, but his face becomes watchful and he replies as briefly as he can. It's not that I want to pry, Giovanni, but you must admit he's a strange child. He arrives here out of the blue, dressed in a pair of trousers and a shirt, both in such shocking condition that even the poorest beggar is better off. He owns a knife and an empty bottle, which he obviously regards as vital necessities, and yet he speaks Italian like a Florentine nobleman. Yes, and French like a senior member of the French Academy. What does he do? I found him with a French book the other day, and he asked me to read a few lines to him. I naturally thought he wanted them translated, but he explained it wasn't necessary. He only wanted to compare the sound of the words with their appearance in print. He's obviously never seen French written, but I can assure you he speaks like a native, and like a very gifted and well-educated native, too. Yes, and then I suppose he explained it away by saying there was a man in the circus who was French. Exactly. Heaven knows what kind of circus it is. I'm quite sure there is no circus. Can't you see there's something mysterious and wrong about it all? At first, I'd imagined he'd run away from school or something of the sort. But to judge from his speech, you'd think he came from a family that would have moved heaven and earth long enough ago, long enough ago to find him. And yet there's not been a word about a search being made for a child of, of any of the people we know. So where does he get his speech from? And when you consider it, he doesn't speak like a child at all. His conversation is completely adult. And he often fails to understand what the children mean until they explain to him. He really makes you think he'd never before spoken to another child. That can hardly be the case. But wherever he comes from, Elsa, we are deeply indebted to him. And since it worries him to be questioned about his background, then I think we ought to let him alone. I can't see either that any of the things you've mentioned can be said to make him unsuitable company for our children. He talks beautifully, and he really has charming manners, often better than our own youngsters. 
that seemed to come from a quite instinctive knowledge that consideration and respect for other people's rights are the only way to live peaceably and satisfactorily together. Elsa, Elsa, why don't you use your eyes? I admit he's a strange child, and I admit there's something mysterious about him, but I can't imagine he could be a bad influence. David's the gentlest boy I've ever seen in my life, and he's had an effect on our own children. I haven't once seen them fighting since he came. No, and it's on the tip of my tongue to say I wish they did. You ask me what I have against David? I object to his attitude to Carlo, and I object to his relations with Maria. Haven't you seen that David hates Carlo? Not like boys who fight and then forget about it because there was really nothing serious to fight over. David hates Carlo as a grown man hates. He talks to him only when he has to, and then he speaks politely and coldly and refuses to look at him. Try watching Carlo a little more closely tomorrow. He's grown quite subdued, and when he sees David and Andrea chatting together, he just stands there looking rather wistful, but he doesn't join in. He seems to know that if he did, David would immediately bring the conversation to a polite close and go off elsewhere. Carlo's a good boy. He's a little wild and somewhat domineering over the others, but otherwise there's no harm in him. Do you suppose it gives me any pleasure to see my eldest son trying to ingratiate himself with a lying little vagabond and being rebuffed with hatred and contempt? No, of course not. But don't you think you might be mistaken? Suppose we ask, David. And I like his influence over Maria just as little. Maria worships the ground he treads on. Everything David thinks and says and does is right. She is aware of the existence of her own brothers only when it suits David. What she likes best is being alone with David. The other day she sat quite still for a whole hour listening to the gramophone with him. Mozart's Violin Concerto. What do you make of that? And Maria is about as musical as a sucking pig. Well, yes. But it can't do any harm, my dear. Little girls often admire boys a little bigger than themselves. And you must remember that it was David who rescued her from the fire. It's quite natural for her to admire him. She used to admire Carlo and Andre as well but not in the same way. She admired the two bigger boys because they were stronger and more daring. With David, it's himself that she admires, and it isn't just admiration either, it's devotion. She seems to want to know and understand everything he thinks so that she can learn to think the same way herself. Giovanni, I won't have it. I've listened to the two of them together when they didn't know I was there. With the rest of us, David is silent and reticent, but he talks to Maria because it never occurs to her to question him, except to ask him what he thinks about her. He tells her the most abominable things about wickedness and misery and brutality and treachery. 
And he's told her how you die so that it doesn't hurt. I don't know where he gets it all from, and I don't care. That boy must go. I would never have thought David had a brutal mind or an inclination to cruelty. He hasn't. He tells her about such things so that she can take care of herself and so that she may know how fortunate she is. But I will not have my children listening to things of that nature. They've time enough to learn that there's wickedness in the world. I'll not have my son trying in vain to win the good graces of a lying little stranger whom we know nothing about, and I'll not have Maria's sweet, childlike, carefree attitude to life spoiled by a knowledge of evil she has no idea of. Children have their own troubles. They mustn't be expected to bear the miseries and sorrows of the grown-up world. Well, since you feel so strongly about it, then, but don't you think that if perhaps I spoke to the boy about it? Do you think that anything at all that anyone could say to David would alter by one jot what he thinks? Do you think anybody in the world could stop David being David? No, my dear, I don't think they could. I must say I respect him for that. The lad isn't obstinate or headstrong, and he wants to learn, but he reserves the right to think for himself, and he'll not surrender his personality. And that's good. It shows strength of character. Giovanni, I'm not heartless. I really am grateful, and I'll willingly do anything for the boy but keep him here. I don't believe there's any real harm in him, and I can see that a great deal of what you say about him is right. And if he weren't a child, I should most probably like him for those very things, but I don't understand him, and I won't have him influencing my own children. Can't you find out something about him? Try to tell him we wish him well, and see if you can discover where he comes from. If he's done something wrong, then you could use your influence with the police. We could send him home or to a monastery or something of the sort and pay for his education. But he'll have to tell you the truth so we can decide the best thing to do. All right, Elsa, as you wish. You're not to count the cost. It doesn't matter. He's to have the best of everything, clothes, food, education, for Maria's sake. And because I could have loved him so much if he'd been willing to let me. David sat down on the windowsill and stared into the darkness. Every word the children's parents had said to one another was deeply engraved upon his mind. His hands, his legs, his whole body were shaking and he was unable to control himself. He had realized that he must go and go soon, but the fact that the danger was so near at hand was something he had not realized, and now he had been made aware of all that was amiss with him, and he knew he could never put it to right. He did not really think he was so amiss, but other people obviously thought so. In the morning, 
The children's father would try to question him, and when he found he was getting nowhere, he would call in the police, in the belief that he could still take care of David, even after they had laid hands on him. He must leave that very night. David took his bundle out of the cupboard, together with his bottle, his knife, and his small scrap of soap. For one moment, he considered taking a larger piece of soap from the bathroom. He would like to have taken a sponge and his toothbrush as well, and a candle and some fresh matches, but he decided not to. He would have to go in Andrea's clothes, which he was wearing, for the children's mother had never given him back his own, and she had said he might have them. But apart from the clothes that he had to keep on, he would take nothing at all with him. Although she and the children's father had talked of all they were willing to give him. They were not wicked people. They had been kind to him, and even though they were ready to give him up now, they were acting out of ignorance, since they had no idea what would happen when they caught him again. He would have to be gone from the house before they arrived the next day, but he would write a letter so that he could at least say thank you. He had the pencil and paper he had bought. It would take a long time, and he would have to hurry so that he could be well on his way before morning, but that he could not help. David sat down and thought for a long time. Then he wrote very, very slowly and very carefully. I heard everything you said. I shall go now, as soon as I've finished writing. I only wanted to stay here as long as you wished me to. I shall have to keep Andrea's clothes because you have not given me my own. I want to thank you for letting me listen to music and read books because everything is so beautiful here. And thank you for the food you have given me and for letting me sleep in a bed. I want to tell you quite freely that I have never murdered anyone and never used force. I've never stolen from anybody. I've taken no one's joy or happiness or freedom or property away from him, and I've never betrayed anyone. Nothing dreadful has ever happened, because I have never been a traitor. I am telling you this because you want to know something about me and to let you know that that's all I'm going to tell. If the police catch me, I shall die. But I shall tell them nothing more than that. It is important not to give in to people who love violence and think that they have the right to take away another person's life and liberty. And if you don't let them change what you think and believe, then you have won. A man once told me that. And that's why I am going to stay as I am, always, as long as I live. I am glad I told Maria that wickedness exists. I don't want her to be afraid. But sometimes you have to know it's something that you have to know about. Can't you understand that children have a right to know everything that's true? If there's danger, you have to recognize it 
or else you can't take care of yourself. I mean other children, those that aren't strong, aren't wrong, and have somewhere to belong to. I'm writing this because I want to say thank you for the things you have given me and to tell you of my own free will all that I'm going to tell you. David. It had taken him a frightfully long time. David looked at the clock on the chest of drawers. It was now half past one in the morning. He wanted to write something about Maria, something that would make them take great care of her. But he could not do it. He thought of so many things in connection with her. He could not bear the thought of having to go away. Suddenly, as if she had overheard his thoughts, she was standing there in the doorway. She was in her white nightdress, her hair loose, looking frightened. David, shh, David whispered in alarm. Maria came into the room, shutting the door behind her. David, I woke up so frightened. I thought you were in the fire and I couldn't find you. I've got to go away, Maria, David said. Oh, no, David, why? David told her everything her parents had said while he was standing outside within earshot. So you see, I must go now while it's still night, he concluded when she had heard everything. Fortunately, Maria never doubted that what he said was right. She made no protest, just looked at him earnestly and said quite quietly, David, you'll come back, won't you? Even if it's not for a long time, say you'll come back. David looked at her dumbly. How could he say that? The children's mother had called him a liar. This was something quite different. People didn't understand that your life depended on having a good story, one that they couldn't prove wrong, and on never allowing yourself to be shaken from it. But this was different. Maria didn't belong to them, and what she was asking was a promise. Johannes had told him promises were important. A man must respect his own promises if he wanted others to respect him. Then he said, I can't say that. If I can in time come, then I will, but I don't know, and so I won't promise. But David, who's going to tell me about everything when you're God? Ah, yes. Who would look after Maria? How could he, when he had to leave her? And if he did not go, they would come and take him, and so he would not be able to look after her anyway. Then David did something he had never done before. Of his own free will, he touched somebody else. He laid his hands on Maria's shoulders and looked straight into her eyes, then he said, slowly, that, so that she could remember what he said and try to understand it. You must do it yourself, Maria. 
You must teach yourself all about things and look after yourself. When there's no one else to do things for you, you have to do them for yourself. You must listen carefully to the people you think are good. Your father and mother and the people that teach you things in schools. Then you must think over what they say and decide how much of it you feel is right. But you must be careful because what is right is not always what you want. And if you make a mistake, you regret it afterward. But David, I'm not clever enough. Oh, why do you have to go when I'd much rather you stayed? Will you take me with you? I'd like to, but it wouldn't be right. Your father and mother would be frightened, and you've no right to make anyone afraid. In a way, it's like using violence, and you wouldn't have a good time either. I've often no food and nowhere to sleep. That wouldn't matter if you were there, but since you say it's wrong, then you shan't take me with you. You can think about me, Maria, and then I shan't be quite gone. Will you think about me too? Yes. Always? Yes. David put his comb, pencil, and paper in his bundle. He had everything now. Meanwhile, Maria stood watching him. Then she said, David, wait here a moment. David stood and waited quite calmly. Maria would never give him away. A moment later she was back, holding in her hand a little cross of gold covered with tiny little seed pearls. That's for you, David, to take with you. The cross hung on a slender chain, and she stood on tiptoe to fasten it around David's neck. Thank you. Now I'm going. He put his bundle on the table and she flung her arms around his neck. She was soft and warm, just as she had been the day he had rescued her from the fire. We'll be able to remember now, she whispered. Yes, David replied, and for a moment they looked into one another's eyes. Maria's black eyes and sweet face that had taught him how to smile. David took her face in both his hands and kissed her. Goodbye, Maria. Goodbye, David. David went quickly and without looking to her again. Shut the door softly behind him. Oh. David went quickly and without looking at her again, shut the door softly behind him.